have you ever been stuck? Have you ever been stuck so much that you couldn't pry yourself free or get yourself out? I remember when I was six or seven years old, our church went on a snow tubing trip. And we went to a place that had one of those snow tube lifts where you just kind of sit in the tube. You hold on to the handle kind of between your legs, and then it kind of just pulls you up the hill. I kind of like to think about it as um, snow tubing for people who don't like to exercise. Well, anyway, on one of the times up the hill, the handle I was holding onto began to slowly come out of my grasp. And as I tried to hold on harder, the tube underneath me released. It started going down the hill. So at this point, the tube is heading down the hill without a passenger, and I'm being dragged up the hill without a tube. About 20 or 30 feet later, I totally dropped the handle, and at this point, I'm laying face down on my stomach on the side of that snow hill. I am super scared, not sure what to do, can't really move because of all the tubes going up and down, kind of has packed the snow down into ice. And remember, I'm six, maybe seven years old, and I will admit to you, if you don't tell anybody, that six-year-old Ben was sob crying on the side of the hill, totally filled with fear because I was stuck. It's amazing, 35 years, some years later, I still remember that. That's how traumatic it was. That's how traumatic it is to be stuck. You know, that's exactly how some of us are feeling right about now. I'd kind of like to recap where you and I are in life with a little chart that I put together. So if you look at the screen with me, so about two months ago, two and a half months ago or so, our normal, our normal lives ended as quarantine started. And from that point on, I think all of us in big ways or in little ways have been looking forward to normal to start up again. But even as restrictions are starting to be somewhat released or made uh, freer, we still don't know exactly when this new normal is going to start. And so where we've been for the last two and a half months is stuck right in the middle of the old normal and the new normal. And because it is so different than what we're used to, I'm going to call it the wilderness. We kind of have been stuck in the wilderness or, you know, the quarantine wilderness. And I'm guessing you felt exactly the way that I felt, which is trying to just gain our bearings. When quarantine started, our schedules, our home patterns, our habits, everything just kind of came to a halt and got turned upside down, right? In many ways, what it's felt like, it's felt like we've been kind of wandering for two and a half months in the wilderness. How long is it going to last? We don't know. We don't know how long we're going to be stuck in this 
wilderness. And, and here's the other thing. You know all the, the problems and the challenges that we were enduring and facing before quarantine started in the normal life? We weren't able just to leave those in the normal. We were forced to bring all of those things with us into quarantine. So there's an entirely different layer. We're wandering in the wilderness while still dealing with health problems and job problems and relationship issues and self-image problems and financial problems and more. All of those normal life problems are all with us. Is it any wonder then that you've probably had some feelings you've been trying to navigate? There's lots of feelings that have popped up in us because there's a lot that we're trying to navigate as we're stuck in quarantine. In fact, some of those feelings are things like sadness as certain events that maybe we were looking forward to celebrate um, aren't going to happen the way we thought. It could be frustration. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's just a, a general frustration. Is it any wonder or should it be a surprise that in this season that depression is on the rise and that mental health issues have been increasing? This is a difficult time. And the thing is, the, the thing that we want to remember is that even though it's a challenging time to be stuck in the wilderness, that there can be unique purpose and unique blessing that come in the midst of the wilderness. And that's what this series is really all about. Um, our first fill-in for today is this, that the lessons we learn in the wilderness can make us stronger when we're out of it. It would be tragic in my estimation if all of us, including me, if we were all so focused on getting back to normal that we missed the opportunities and the things that we could learn right in the midst of the season that we're in right now. The lessons we learn in the midst of this season of um, wandering or in the wilderness can make us stronger when we're out of it. And like I said, that's what this series is all about. That it's okay to pray that we would get out of the wandering, that we'd get out of the wilderness, that, that God would get us unstuck, so to speak. But even as we pray for those things, and I am too, that we would stop and think about what are the things that God is teaching us right now that will make us even stronger when this season comes to an end. And to do that in this series, we're going to take a close look at a, a group of people that were stuck in the wilderness 3,500 years ago. For the next month, we're going to see how God directed them, how he guided them, what he shared with them so that they might grow even while they were stuck and wandering 
in the wilderness. So let me tell you a little bit about that backstory as we begin this entire series. So who we're going to be looking at are a group of people who are from Israel. We're going to call them the Israelites, okay? And so you got to know something about the history of Israel. For about 400 years, they were kind of transplanted in Egypt. And for most of those years, they lived in slavery. They had no freedom. For most of those 400 years, they were merely possessions of the people of Egypt who did not treat them very well at all. Well, God eventually raised a leader named Moses who was going to lead them out of Egypt and out of that slavery. At first, Pharaoh was not going to let the Israelites leave, but eventually after God sent them, maybe some of you remember this, 10 different plagues, finally Pharaoh was convinced to let Israel leave. And where were they going to go? Well, they were going to go to an area called Canaan near the Mediterranean Sea. And unlike in Egypt where they'd be slaves, in Canaan it's described as being a place of milk and honey. (laughs) What that means is it was pretty okay. It was a good place to be. But in between Egypt, where they were and where their past had been, and Canaan, where they were going, there was a literal wilderness in between, a literal desert. It was the Sinai wilderness or the Sinai desert. Now, we don't have time to go into all of the details, but let me just tell you this, that because of some things that happened, the Israelites weren't able to just walk through the wilderness, that they were kind of stuck and wandering around in the wilderness. And for many of them, they weren't quite sure when they were going to get out of it. You and I, looking back on it, we know that it was about 40 years. But 40 years, they were wandering in the wilderness. Does this seem eerily similar to the situation that we're in right now? Looking forward to a new normal, but stuck wandering in the wilderness. There's a lot over this next month and a half that we're going to be able to learn as we watch and as we follow the Israelites in the wilderness. Well, today where we're going to start is kind of at the very beginning. It's right after Pharaoh relented and let the Israelites leave Egypt. So we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 14. We're going to begin with verse 5. Here's what it says. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had left, that they had fled, Pharaoh and his officials, they changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. And I like how it's shared almost as if they were just paid for their work and, you know, that they were just kind of like the the lawn guys that they had hired. This was not just services. This was slavery. And you got to understand, the Israelite nation at the time, it probably numbered around 2 million people. This was most 
of Egypt's workforce. And again, remember, it was free labor. So Pharaoh kind of comes to his senses. He recognizes what is going to be leaving. And here's what he does next, verse 6. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out of Egypt boldly. So Pharaoh gets his army together and he starts to pursue the Israelites who are leaving Egypt and heading towards Canaan. Now, the interesting thing is this, that before the Israelites even got stuck in the wilderness, they kind of got stuck before they got there. Because as they're leaving, they have the Red Sea kind of as a barrier to their east. And as they look backwards, they see Pharaoh and the Egyptian army coming at them from the west. And the Israelites are sandwiched right in the middle. They're filled with fear. They're feeling some things. You know, you feel things when you're stuck and can't get out. Let's see what it says about the Israelites. Verse 10, how did they react? As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. It says they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. Now, before we get too hard on the Israelites, just understand that it makes sense that they would be filled with fear. I mean, as they look backwards, they, they see their past coming at them. It's an entire army. And they hate the Israelites. They're going to come to either destroy them or take them back to be slaves again. One of the very real emotions that we can have, and there's many of them, but one of them, when you're stuck where you do not want to be, is that of fear. But here's the question. What are you going to do with your feelings? What are you going to do with your feelings? You see, feelings happen. You can't even control them all. Feelings happen in our hearts and in our minds because of events that happen in our life. And you can't control all of the events of your life just like you can't control the feelings that come out of them. But the question becomes, what are you going to do with them? And honestly, there are a couple of options. You can allow your feelings to direct you or... You can pause, recognize mentally what's going on right now, that I'm feeling something and I'm in danger of being directed by my feelings, whether good or bad. And instead, you instead can instead direct your feelings. You can allow your feelings to direct you or you can decide to direct your feelings. What did the Israelites do when they were stuck? Let's keep going. Verse 11 says this. The Israelites in that moment said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt 
that you have brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Well, let me recap it for you, and then we're going to take a look at a couple things in these verses. The Israelites made a choice, and they allowed, in the moment of being stuck, they allowed their feelings to direct them. And here's what they became. Ticked off, delusional liars. Let me show you. In the first part of their response, they get really angry with Moses. And they start just being sarcastic with him. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Now, you know, Egyptians, they're known for the pyramids. There were lots of graves in Egypt. They're just being sarcastic. What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? They're ticked off. They're angry. And they're reacting towards Moses. And if you read through the whole section, towards God as well. They're also lying said, didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? If you read through the beginning portion of Exodus, this is not something that they ever said. They were fully on board in getting their freedom and being taken out of Egypt. They did not like it in Egypt. And yet, that leads us to the third part. They also say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And they here are delusional. What they're basically saying is, it would be better for us to be slaves than to go after freedom. It would be better for us to be abused, to have our families ripped apart, to be sold like animals, and to be in daily fear of being hurt, killed, or worse, instead of going out after freedom from slavery. And it's interesting that this is a thing that the Israelites over those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness come back to over and over again. We're going to see some other instances of this where in the midst of trouble in the wilderness, they start to think that it would have been better for them just to have stayed in Egypt. And here's what I think is going on. They kind of are in their minds having revisionist history a little bit of how things used to be. And yes, there's probably some things they miss, but it's not because it was good for the most part. It's because it was familiar. Familiar isn't always good. It's just what you're used to. It's um, kind of like that sweatshirt from high school that you still have. It's probably mostly the guys that would have this. It doesn't look good at all, and yet we still wear it because it's familiar. Or maybe it's that five-year-old pair of pajama pants that you still wear. There's a hole in the seam and the edges are all torn and frayed. Not because they fit well, not because they look good, but because they are familiar. Sometimes we long for the past, not because it's good, 
but because it's purely familiar. And I think that's where we need to be careful. Right now, in the quarantine wilderness, we're so ready to get things back to normal, to get unstuck, to go back to normal. But let me tell you, things in Egypt weren't very good and not everything in the past in our old normal was good either. Normal was a schedule that was so tight and overpacked that it was hard for families to be together much less be able to talk to each other. It was hard to have godly priorities in a normal schedule that was so filled up. You know what normal was? Normal was a lifestyle that was so filled with blessings because we as United States citizens are super blessed with so much more than we need. And We've gotten used to that. We got used to that lifestyle of getting most everything and anything that we wanted. And that led to a sense of entitlement, I think, that many of us right now, when we're stuck, are trying to deal with. Where are these feelings coming from? I think some of it's from entitlement. You know, the normal was an attitude that oftentimes was easy to nitpick and to be upset and crabby about the little things instead of being thankful for all the things that God has given to us and finding blessings in each and every day. See, as we look for normal to start over, I think that there are some things about the normal from the past that would be better to be left in the past. Or I'll say it this way, that it would be good for us to learn something in the wilderness that we're in right now and to long for something in the future that's better than the normal of the past. That's our hope. And day by day and week by week, I I hear people's thoughts and people's um, hearts and minds being open to the reality of desiring something better than what we experienced in the old normal. So, we see Moses' words to the people. Verse 13 of chapter 14. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Okay, he recognized that they were feeling something. But instead of having them be directed by their feelings, Moses begins to direct what they're feeling. And he says, stand firm and you will see something. You will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Moses begins by God's strength and help and grace to direct their feelings. And this is what he directs them with. You're not alone. God is with you. While you're in Egypt, he's with you in the wilderness. He will be with you in Canaan. He has never left you. And 
Your God is one who wants to deliver his people. In fact, all you need to do is watch and see the deliverance he's going to give. You need to do nothing. Just watch and see. Here's what happens next. Verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters of the Red Sea were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on the dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a huge wall of water on their left. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. Verse 25, he jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. For the Israelites, God showed his presence by delivering them from the Egyptian army so that in fact, as the seas then later came in on the Egyptians, that they would never have to worry about them again. Here's something true about God, our third fill-in. You have a God who delivers his people. You have a God who in his grace and in his love wants to deliver his people from whatever it is they're facing. And so, verse 13, just stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. Can I tell you about your deliverance? Because my deliverance and yours is not exactly the same as the Israelites. The Israelites were delivered from the Egyptians at the Red Sea. Our deliverance story is not that one. You and I, we were delivered in Jerusalem at the cross. You see, you and I, we've had and sometimes still show a slavery to sin. That every day we're battling not just the circumstances of life, but all the stuff that's going on inside of us. And let me tell you, sin is a cruel slave master. It causes us to have at times a hard time finding joy and peace and contentment. It, it causes fear to terrify us and overwhelm us. And yet when Jesus went to the cross, here's what he did. He stretched out his hands and through his death and through his resurrection, he opened up a way to freedom, opened up a way to God, opened up a way to be with the Lord forever. And it's not 
that we don't still battle temptation, that we don't still battle sin. We do. That's why life is hard and why I look so forward to heaven where there is no temptation anymore. But we do not need to fear that cruel slave master called sin because God has destroyed the consequences of sin and he has forgiven us for our sins of the past. We have an amazing deliverance story. And and here's the truth. Here's the reality in the midst of the quarantine wilderness. God has, he never promised that he's going to take away all of our problems. He doesn't promise to you today that all your investments are going to get back to the level that they once were. He's not promising to you that we're going to be as prosperous financially or materially as we were before. He's not promising that we won't get sick anymore and he's going to protect us from anything that could harm our body. He's never has promised that. But here's what he has done. Through that deliverance of Jesus, he has created and established a relationship with him. God is on your side and he's on mine as well by faith in Jesus. And so we can do this and it's, it's better than anything. We can trust. We can trust that the God who has saved us for eternity is not going to forsake us or ignore us right now. And that he's either going to deliver us from the earthly circumstances that we are battling right now, or he's going to give us the strength to get through them. So, what's our application for today? I want to take us back to Moses' words to the Israelites. I I left one out, or at least I, I stopped before we got to it. After they were filled with fear, the Egyptians are charging. Moses is trying to direct their feelings. And here's what he says. He says, stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. We looked at that verse. And then it continues. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And the Hebrew word here for be still has nothing to do with the posture of your body. It's not sit on the couch and watch more Netflix. It's not be lazy or don't work hard or don't apply yourself. It's not any of that. The be still is all about a posture of your heart, your mind, and your soul. And I I think if I were to put it into a way that best would apply for us in the midst of the quarantine wilderness, what it means to be still right now in here and in here is for us to loosen our need to control. Now that's what this season, a worldwide pandemic, has taught us. That we are far less in control than we ever thought we were. (laughs) Even at home right now, with all the kids at home all day, I don't even have control over my pantry and fridge, much less my entire life. We, 
don't have as much control as we thought, and we need to. Moses says, and God directs, loosen our need to hold on tight and to control. I'd like to have you join me in doing something right now that will help illustrate the difference that this makes. I want you to take your hands out like this, okay? You with me? Okay. And I want you, in a moment, to make a fist in both hands as hard and as tightly as you can and to hold it until I tell you to release, okay? Ready? One, two, three, go. All right. Make that fist as tight and as hard as you can until you feel your biceps starting to, you know, bulge a little bit. Maybe there's a vein that's sort of popping out in your forehead. My arms, you can maybe see that a little bit, are actually shaking a little bit. All right. Now, do it even harder. (laughs) Even harder. And stop. Feel the difference there? It's a lot more peaceful when we start trying to grip so tight. Our our, our last fill-in for today is this, that we are to loosen the grip of control and rely on the grip of God. Our tendency and temptation in this season when things are seemingly out of control, when we're wandering around, stuck in the wilderness, is to just try to control more, to hold on more tightly. When the Egyptians were coming towards the Israelites, when they were stuck, Moses said, be still. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. This is where we are right now. And I don't know how long we're going to be here. I I don't think it's going to be 40 years. At least I, I hope it's not. But for right now, we are still in some ways wandering in the quarantine wilderness. And there are some things that we can learn while we're stuck. It's okay to look forward to the, the new normal, but right now, while we're wandering, let's not miss these opportunities to grow so that we are stronger when we're out of it. You're going to be tempted to have your feelings control you. I pray that instead we'll press pause and have God direct our feelings. And to just to know that even though things may at times seem out of our control, that the Lord is with you. He's a God who loves to deliver his people. And even as we look towards the new normal, it may just be that God wants to give us and to lead us to something even better. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Let's pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, it's a lot to think about, a lot to digest, a lot to apply, a lot to be thankful for. Lord, as we watch a group of people who in, in some ways we can relate to their predicament, we thank you that you are a God of deliverance. And that even as we pray for deliverance from the quarantine wilderness, this purgatory that we're in, so to speak, that we would have confidence every day knowing that you're with us and to have joy knowing you've already delivered us from that which we needed to be delivered from the most, our sin. Dear Lord, knowing that you're with us, help us to loosen our grip and to find the stillness of heart and mind that you would want us to have trusting in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.